You're listening to the Midtown Church Sermon Podcast. Midtown Church is a family loved and served by God, compelled to love and serve each other and Austin with God. Learn more at midtownaustin.org. Hey, it's good to see y'all today. If I haven't had a chance to meet you yet, my name is Jake. I'm the lead pastor of Midtown Church. I'm so glad that you're joining us this morning. I'm going to ask us to do something that we don't normally do, but I'm going to ask you to stand and I'm going to read the passage we're going to be in this morning. It's going to be Psalm 147. And uh, though this isn't a normal practice for us, it is a common practice throughout churches all over the world that they stand out of reverence for God's word and a way to just kind of recognize that we're hearing from God. And so let me read a portion of Psalm 147 before we get going this morning. Here's what it says. Praise the Lord. How good it is to sing praises to our God. How pleasant and fitting to praise him. The Lord builds up Jerusalem. He gathers the exiles of Israel. He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. He determines the number of the stars and calls them each by name. Great is our Lord and mighty in power. His understanding has no limit. The Lord sustains the humble but casts the wicked to the ground. He sing to the Lord with grateful praise. Make music to our God on the harp. He covers the sky with clouds. He supplies the earth with rain and he makes grass grow on the hills. He provides food for the cattle and for the young ravens when they call. His pleasure is not in the strength of the horse, nor his delight in the legs of the warrior. The Lord delights in those who fear him, who put their hope in his unfailing love. Thank you. You can be seated. Well, today we are beginning a new teaching series that you can see we're calling Why We Worship. And I'm really excited about this series because, uh, you know, what we're going to do is we're going to look at three uh, biblical reasons for why we are to worship God, both personally in our day-to-day lives, as well as worship God corporately as the church, like we're doing here this morning. And um, the Next week, we're going to get a little bit more into the focus of why we would worship God on a kind of personal day-to-day life. But today, I really want to focus on one big reason why we are to worship God corporately on Sunday mornings like we're doing right here. And um, if you are visiting with us, perhaps you, you know, you're, you're checking out faith, you're kind of exploring Christianity, you're, you know, you've walked away from the church for a while, but a friend promised you lunch afterwards or told you about our incredible treats that we have at our church, because we do have some incredible treats back there. Thanks, Michael, for that. And uh, yeah, awesome. But uh, perhaps the, did someone got you here and you, but you've been away for a while. I just want you to know, man, we're so glad that you're here. So glad. And I'm personally really glad you're here this morning for the beginning of this teaching series because I think a common assumption that many people have, whether outside the church or even people with it in the church, the common assumption is that we gather on Sundays to worship God because uh, we're supposed to or because we, we have to. Or like it's part of the, uh, you know, fine print agreement that when you choose to follow Jesus, you, whether you recognize it or not, you've just kind of like signed every Sunday morning for the rest of your life away to him. And it's like it just becomes part of the package. And we're, we're here because we have to. But as we're going to see in this series, there are much better, oh, richer, deeper reasons for why Christians gather to worship God week after week. And, uh, but <laughs> I, I will be uh, clear with you, we are uh, commanded to do this. Like, we are supposed to be here. It's just not the only reason we're here. But in this psalm, um, 
that I just read, Psalm 147, it begins with the command to praise God. Did you pick up on that very first thing? Praise the Lord. And that is in the Hebrew, the original language it's written in, that was, in a, the, uh, impa- that was an imperative. It's a, in the English, it's three words, three-word command, praise the Lord. But in the Hebrew language, it's actually one word. And it's the word, uh, one of the probably few Hebrew words that we're all familiar with. It's the word hallelujah. It's a compound word. The beginning of hallelujah, halal, literally means to praise or to boast in or to glory in. And the last part of that, yah, is short for Yahweh. It literally means to praise the Lord, to praise Yahweh, Yahweh being the personal covenantal name of God given to uh, his people who know of his saving love. It's, it's the command. Praise the Lord. And this psalm begins, and if I had kept reading, you would notice that it actually ends with the same command. It's bookended with that statement, hallelujah. Praise the Lord. It's a command. But that command to praise God it doesn't stop there. It's not that it just says, praise the Lord and just do it because I, I said so. If you keep going, it tells us why we are to worship God. And what it says next, I just love, I've been thinking about this all week long. I've been so excited to, to just point this out to y'all because here, here's what it goes on to say. How good it is to sing praises to our God. How pleasant and fitting, you hear that word? How fitting it is to praise him. See, the idea of why we are to worship God that's found and captured here is that we worship God because it is fitting to do so. See, the word worship, we get that word from the old English word, worth-ship. You know that that was actually where it came from. And it's a helpful idea that that you know, worship, because it really gives you a good idea of what worship is. It's, it's recognizing something or someone's worth and then shipping, you know, giving, responding to their worth. And so the worship of God is to recognize his incredible worth and then give him what he is worth, or to respond to him in a fitting way according to what he is worth. That's why we worship, because it's fitting, because God is worthy of our worship. The, uh, the, I'm a big basketball fan, and my two seventh grade sons are now uh, big, growing to be big basketball fans, which is a lot of fun for me. And so we've been watching the NBA playoffs throughout the summer, and uh, many, maybe you know, many of y'all probably know that uh, just about a week ago, the Milwaukee Bucks won the NBA championship, won the finals, and, and the Bucks team, the star players, Giannis Antetokounmpo, which is fun to say. Uh, yeah, did I, did I do a good job? Thank you. And uh, Giannis is unbelievable. Like, he is just this incredible basketball player. My sons, they haven't seen him play very much. And so we're watching him play, and I'm just going on and on about how awesome Giannis is. And, and then the, he, the last game of the NBA Finals, he scores 50 points. 50 points in the final game to win the championship. It was just, I mean, it was just this masterful performance. The guy is just a freak athlete, and that's actually his nickname. He's the Greek freak. Like, he's, that's what they're calling him because he's 
from Greece, and he's a freak of nature. It's amazing. And so I'm like, we watch this, we watch him play, and then the day after they win the finals, like I pull up on YouTube, I get camp and Enoch with me, my sons, and I'm like showing them all the highlights from Giannis's whole career. I'm just, I actually watch a bit of a documentary all about his life. I mean, we're just into it, and I'm just showing them all these highlights from YouTube. And, and I, you know, why was I doing that? Was it because I felt obligated to do that because he won the finals, so now we have to pay homage to Giannis Antetokounmpo? No, of course not. I, mean, I was just like blown away by how good this guy is. And so I was saying to my sons, like, not only am I blown away, I want to watch all these highlights, but I want to get them to see him. I want to get them to see how awesome he is and so that they too can join me in the praise of Giannis Antetokounmpo because he's awesome. Friends, that's the vein of Psalm 147. What the psalmist is doing here is that he is thinking about, he's reflecting on how incredible God is. And as he does that, it causes him to to praise God and call others to praise God. So he recognizes that his voice alone, not enough. That he wants more people to praise God because that's really what is fitting given God's incredible worth. It's not done out of an obligatory nature. He's not done because he's forced. No, as he reflects on God's character, who he is and what he's done, he's just moved. It's the fitting response. It's because God is worthy because he sees who God is. He's like, man, God is great. (laughs) And he wants others to praise him. I mean, look, that's what has happened in the song. If you keep going after the statement, he, he just starts listing off different attributes or things that God's done and what God's like. So he says, uh, the Lord builds up Jerusalem and gathers the exiles of Israel. And this, is, this psalm was probably written about, uh, you know, I don't know, 100 years after the uh, Israelites came out of uh, Persian and Babylonian exile back to Jerusalem. And so this, this uh, psalmist is just thinking about what God has done, what he's seen God do. He's like, look, God brought us back. He, he brought us out of exile. He's building Jerusalem back up. God is great. And then he keeps going. He says, he heals the brokenhearted and he binds up their wounds. Like God, is, is, he cares about us. Like he knows us. He knows we're hurting and he cares. He, he cares about our broken hearts, about our wounds. And then it's as if he's like, and think about this. It's not just that God cares about us, but it, it's the God who made the heavens cares about us. And so he starts talking about it. He determines the number of stars and he calls them each by name. I mean, how incredible is that? That, that this God, he's all powerful. Like he's probably looking out at, you know, not, uh, at a landscape that's not polluted by light. And he's just seeing all the stars in the sky. And he's like, man, he made that one and he made that one and he made that one. And he knows their names. And yet he knows my name. He knows your name because he, he, he cares about our wounds. He cares about our broken heart. I mean, this is amazing. It goes on. That moves him. Great is the Lord and mighty in power. So after reflecting on the things that God has done, he moves to who God is. What this tells us about his very nature. Great is the Lord. Mighty in power. So understanding has no limit. And then he moves on. Verse 7. Sing to the Lord with grateful praise. Make music our God on the harp. Do you see what's happened here? Why does this man worship? It's because he's reflected on, he's recognized the incredible worth of God. 
and he's moved to do so because, friends, worship is the fitting response to who God is and what God has done. It just fits. It just flows out of you. That's why in verse 2, I mean verse 1, he can say, hey, how good and how pleasant and how fitting it is to praise God. Good and pleasant, not forced, not coerced, not obligatory. Good and pleasant. Why? It just fits. Because God's worthy of our worship. Worship be compelled to flow from you. You have to begin by recognizing and reflecting on who God is and what he's done. Reflecting on God's incredible worth. Then you'll be moved to worship because it's the fitting response. Now, here's the problem, right? The problem is we rarely do that. The, the problem is, is that often we fail to reflect on and to recognize God's incredible worth. That either we don't know God, and therefore, of course, we're not reflecting on him, we don't, you know, or for the you know, Jesus followers in here, what's often true is that we're just so busy. And we've just got a lot of stuff to do, and we've got other stuff on our mind, and, you know, fast-paced life and all that kind of stuff. And so we don't slow down to actually reflect on who God is. We don't spend time listing off, enumerating like this psalmist does, the things that God has done and what that tells us about who he is. We just, we just you know, it's like, I don't really have time to do that. And when that happens, when we fail to think about and recognize God's worth, and what happens, for instance, is that we will not respond to him according to his worth. And the reason that's a problem, there are a few, but the one that I'll hit on right now is because when we do not recognize God's supreme worth, we will not give him what he's worth, and that greatly dishonors God. Like, it really displeases God. Did you know that? There are a number of times in the Old Testament where God makes this really clear. Think about Isaiah 1, Amos 5. Malachi 1. I don't have time to go to all those passages, but I want, I want to take you to Malachi chapter 1 this morning because uh, Malachi was probably written not too long after Psalm 147. It's been the same period of time after the exile. And, and in Malachi chapter 1, what you find is that the people of God, the Israelites, are still worshiping God. The, the temple's been rebuilt. They're still coming and bringing their uh, sacrifices to God. They're gathering as assembly of people to worship God. But the, it's just routine for them. They're not, their hearts are not in it. Perhaps you can relate to that. And uh, God calls them out for it. And he has some pretty strong words for them. Let me just read a little bit of Malachi chapter 1, verse 6. This is what God says. It says, A son honors his father, and a slave his master. And then God says, If I am a father, where's the honor, where honor due me? And if I am a master, then where's the respect due me? says the Lord Almighty. And then he goes on and says, it is your priests who show contempt for my name. In other words, what God is saying to his people is, why are you treating me, why, are you, why aren't you treating me according to who I am? 
Why are you treating me with such disrespect? Why are you not giving me my due? Why are you, priests, treating me with contempt? And that word contempt is a strong word. See, that it literally means uh, to, um, uh, it describes an attitude of ongoing disrespect that comes from seeing something as worthless or insignificant. Now look, and if you keep reading, this is how the people respond. They, they, they say, uh, but you ask, how have we shown contempt for your name? And so in verse 7, God tells them how they're showing him contempt. And here's what I find to be incredibly wild, and I need you to clue in on this. I need you to listen to this because this is wild. When God's answering the question, how are you showing contempt for my name? You know what he doesn't point to? He doesn't point to any, of, uh, any idolatry. And he doesn't point to sexual immorality. And he doesn't point to how they were neglecting care for the poor or the marginalized. You know what he points to as the evidence, the proof that they were showing neglect or contempt for his name? You know what he points to? He points to their worship. He points to how they were worshiping him in an unfitting way. Here's what he says. Verse 7, how have we shown contempt for your name? That's the question he responds. By offering defiled food on my altar. But you ask, how have we defiled you? By saying the Lord's table is contemptible. When you offer blind animals for sacrifice, is that not wrong? And when you sacrifice lame or diseased animals, is that not wrong? Try offering them to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you? Says the Lord Almighty. God is saying, you wouldn't even give another person, a governor, what you're trying to give me. Are you you kidding me? Now, it's helpful to know that in in the Mosaic Law and the Old Testament, which is not binding for us in Christ and the New Covenant, but so we don't need to worry about any of these sacrifices I'm about to read about, but... The Israelites did, and God was really clear what kind of uh, sacrifices they were supposed to give him. Like, for example, in Exodus 12, Leviticus 1, amongst other places, God instructed them to only sacrifice animals without any kind of blemish or a defect. And in Leviticus chapter 22, he expressly forbid sacrificing blind, lame, or sick animals to him. You know why? Because uh, their worship of God... In their worship of God, they were to bring God their best, not their leftovers. Not the animals that were blind and running into trees or falling into ditches, and they were like, I just got to get rid of this animal anyways. Not the ones that were sickly and they were going to die anyways, and so it wasn't going to cost them much to give. Not, not the ones that were lame. He says, no, 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 I want you to bring your best when you worship me. For to give God what is of little or no worth to you is a direct statement of God's worth to you. To give God what is of little or no worth to you is a direct statement of God's worth to you. And so as theologian Joyce Baldwin says, uh, to offer lame and diseased animals was an open insult to God. Now, um, don't miss this, okay? The people of Israel were still showing up to worship God. They were still coming 
Many of them traveling a long way in order to come to the temple to gather as the people of God to worship God. They were still bringing sacrifices. They were still, like, it was costing them monetarily to come and worship God. And if you took a time machine and you were able to go back to that day and age and you showed up at the temple courts in Jerusalem and you saw someone and you say, hey, what are you doing? They would say, I am worshiping God. But God would say, no, you are not. Now, you are not bringing me honor. You are bringing me dishonor. You are not ascribing to me what I am worth. You are worshiping me in a way that is not fitting to what I am worth. And I am not pleased. In fact, it's such a big deal to God that in verse 10 he says this, Oh, that one of you would shut the temple doors so that you would not light useless fires on my altar. I am not pleased with you, says the Lord Almighty, and I will accept no offering from your hands. That's strong, isn't it? See, in other words, God is saying, I'd rather you just not show up then come and worship me in a way that is not fitting. I wish someone would just shut the door so that y'all couldn't show up. I do not want to be worshipped with your leftovers. Now, here's why I bring this up, okay? Psalm 147, go back to that one, right? A little less convicting. Psalm 147, go back to, okay, why do we worship? Well, we worship because worship is the fitting response to God's incredible worth, to who he is and what he's done. But in Malachi chapter 1, what we see is that sometimes, perhaps maybe even often, we can worship God in a way that is not fitting to who he is and what he has done. See, worship is a fitting response, but not everything that we say, of the, we classify as worship, actually is a fitting response. And to that, God says, that's not worship. That does not please me. That does not honor me. Now, uh-huh. I want you to hear something. I need you to listen, because this, you know, if you're like me, and this week I've been feeling this personally, I just kind of feel like, guilt, right? It's just like, oh man, I'm... I need you to hear this, okay? God is love. And God's love for you as children of God is not conditional. It is unconditional loyal love. And his love for you is not contingent or dependent upon how well you worship him. You can worship him extremely poorly and he still love you because his love is not dependent on what you do for him. Got that? And God is a gracious God. He is full of grace. He is to praise God for his grace. And God is a forgiving God. That when you confess your sin, that he is faithful and just to forgive you of your sin, cleanse you of all unrighteousness. This is what God is like. Praise God that he's loving and he's gracious and that he's forgiving. But, friends, 
Sometimes I think we take these truths about God and we seem to use them to maybe cause us to think that it doesn't matter then to God how we live or how we worship him. And that is not true. See, just because God is loving and gracious and forgiving does not mean it does not matter how we worship him. For God is also a great and holy and almighty God. And he deserves our best. That he is worthy of worship that fits him. And he is not pleased with our leftovers. And to highlight that, I brought a rib from Rudy's. Now, my lovely wife went and picked this rib up at like 9 p.m. last night when I decided that I was going to try to use this as an illustration. We're going to see how this goes, okay? So, um, but here, here's what we do, friends. And I hope that this will maybe kind of make this like stick in our, our minds a little bit. Because when it comes to worshiping God, and we got these different ways we worship God, and we gather to worship Him, we give our time to worship Him, we give money to worship Him, we use our talents to worship Him. But oftentimes, or at least we can, but oftentimes what we do instead is we take these things as opportunities to worship God. Like, let's say this rib represents our time. And we say, okay, well, yeah, this is my time. And, well, I mean, it's my time. I got to use the time. I got stuff I got to do. And so, I'm gonna, of course, I'm going to work. I got to sleep. And I got to eat. And there's school, and there's not papers due. And the Olympics are on. Got to watch the Olympics. It's, it's a patriotic thing to do. <laughs> and, you know, that movie I want to see. This is getting hard. <laughs> okay, one second. I thought that's how this would go. Um, and then we take what's left over, right? And then we take it and we're like, all right, yeah. Here, God. And friends, that's crazy, isn't it? But you know what's even more crazy? Many of us think that God is up in heaven and he's like, Oh, oh, thanks. You, thanks for throwing me a bone. See what I did? Oh, there's the pun. Boom. I'm here every Sunday. Okay. And he's like, oh, oh, there's still even a little meat on it. And God is so happy that we just gave him a little, like whatever we could give him. Friends, That's what the people in Malachi's day thought. Now, I'm going to show up and worship him. I'm going to give, yeah, I'm giving him the three-legged sheep. I'm giving him the blind sheep. So give him something. God will be happy. He'll be happy with whatever I give him. And God says, uh-uh. You've got to be kidding me. Do you not know who I am? I am worth far more than your leftovers. I'm not interested in you throwing me a bone. I want your best because that's what I am worthy of.
You know, often we operate as if God is just happy for us to give him whatever we give him. And so we think, God, I know I haven't been around in worship for a while. But I'm here today. Aren't you happy? I fit you in at least one Sunday this month. Show up at worship and we think, well, you know, I, look, God, I, I sang. I sang. I don't even like to sing. Okay, now, you know, yes, I had the mask on so people couldn't really tell. So I was just moving my mouth and not really singing anything. But at least I moved my mouth, God. Aren't you happy with that? Or like, God, I know I haven't thought about you at all this week. I haven't given you any attention. But hey, I'm here now. Aren't you happy? And God says, uh, no, I'm not. So God says, I mean, we say to God, 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 but don't you know who I am? Like, I'm really busy. And like, I've got all these things to do, but I'm here now. So aren't you happy? And God says, look, look, look. I love you, son. I love you, daughter. I really do. I love you. And yes, I know who you are. I know everything about you. But here's the thing. I think you've forgotten who I am. I think you've forgotten what I'm worth. And I'm not pleased with your leftovers. See, I, I want you to worship me in a fitting way. Because I'm a great God. In fact, that's what he goes on to say in Malachi 1 verse 11. My name will be created among the nations. From where the sun rises to where it sets, in every place incense and pure offerings will be brought to me because my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord Almighty. See, friends, God is going to get the praise that he is due. It's going to happen. The question is, for you and me today, is will we give him the praise and worship that he is due? Will we do that? Now, I know, get practical here, I know COVID in particular has made Sunday worship gatherings harder. Right? We all feel that. Now, I know that singing God's praises over Zoom, for those who are joining us over Zoom, I know that singing God's praises over Zoom feels so weird and awkward. You're the only person in the room or there's a couple people in your room and you can hear each other really well. And that's not perhaps not a good thing, especially if I was in that room. That's not good. But I know that's weird. And I, I know that wearing a mask on Sundays is really uncomfortable and not fun. And it just makes everything far from ideal. I know that uh, a part of the personal appeal of showing up on a Sunday is lost, or it's, at least it's made much more stressful during this time. Like, I know that, and friends, God knows that, but listen, God has not changed. God is the same yesterday and today and forever, and he is just as worthy of our worship as ever before. And he wants us to worship him with our best. And the foremost reasons we gather each week is not for our pleasure, but it's for his, to give him the praise that he deserves, to give him praise that is fitting 
to who he is and what he has done. And so on his behalf, in light of his worthiness, I want to encourage you to praise the Lord. To set aside time to gather, either virtually or in person, but to set aside time to gather corporately as the people of God that we could join our voices and we could say with our presence together that God is worthy and that he is great. And we can express praise that fits him. And to do that with the best of our ability, not with our leftovers, not just when it's convenient for us, And if you're gathering with us over Zoom, I want to specifically encourage you to find a way to do it in a way where you're fully present. You're not giving God your your divided attention, which I know is hard when you're at Zoom and you could have the Olympics on in the background. But just don't do it. God is worthy of our best when we're worshiping him. Now, that doesn't mean you can't ever go on vacation, okay? And if you're over Zoom, that does not mean that if you have kids in the room, you can't actually parent or take care of them during our worship gathering. Of course, it doesn't mean those things. I'm not trying to give you like some kind of legalistic standard that you have to measure up to. What I'm saying, friends, is this. We worship God because it is fitting. He's worthy of our worship. But we need to evaluate if we're worshiping him in a way that is fitting. Because he's not looking for us just to throw him a bone. And then you know if that's what you're doing or not. You know. And I just ask that we would, as a church family, help each other and encourage each other to aim for worshiping God with excellence. To worship him with our best. Because that's the only worship that's actually fitting our worthy and awesome, great and good God. Okay? Now, before I wrap up, let me go back to what I said at the beginning. What will move us to worship God in that way? The thing that's going to move us to what calls calls that kind of worship, worshiping God with our best, the thing that calls that just to flow from us, in a way that feels not coerced or manipulated or like I've shamed you and guilted you into it, which is not my intention this morning, the thing that's going to cause that kind of fitting worship to flow from us, friends, is by taking time to acknowledge, to recognize, to reflect on God's incredible worth, to think about who he is and what he's done. That's what makes this kind of worship flow from us in a good and pleasant and fitting way. It's when we're responding to him. And guys, there's nothing that causes, that compels that kind of worship from us than taking the time to reflect on the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And so to end our time, we're going to take communion together as we do every Sunday here. But when we take communion, we are remembering, and this is a beautiful truth, we are remembering that though we often fail to give God our best in worship, God still gave us his very best. That instead of God giving us the punishment that we are due for our sins, instead God gave us the perfect Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world.
that he would not give us the punishment that we deserve, but instead he gave us what we didn't deserve and what we would have never dared ask for, his life for ours. Like how great is our God that Jesus, God the Son, would give his life and give us his righteousness, that he would give us his all, that the God who determines the number of stars and calls them each by name, as Psalm 147 says, would hang on a cross that by his wounds, he would heal our wounds and bind up our broken hearts. Because how amazing is God? He would do that for us. When we fail to worship him according to how awesome he is, when we fail to give him his best, he gave us his very best. That's what we remember when we take communion. We remember Jesus' death on our behalf. Because I want to ask if you've put your faith in Jesus Christ alone, forgiveness of your sins, you believe what we're remembering here is true, you're invited to take communion with us. And as we do this, I ask that you would reflect on the person of Jesus until you are moved to worship him in a way that is good and is pleasant and is fitting. Thank you for listening to the Midtown Church Sermon Podcast. We hope this ministry has blessed you. If you would like to support this ministry, you can donate at midtownaustin.org.